2: Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna.
3: Welcome to the show. You might sense a different tone on the podcast this week as we're coming at you on a Friday morning. Hours after the Patriots roasted the Falcons 25-zip on Thursday Night Football. Henry, you were probably up late, up early, uh, working for the Patriots wire, and, and I'm always up because I got a baby that's a little over a month old now. So uh, what could really go wrong in the pod this, this morning, right? We've got a little bit little bit of hoarseness in our voices, a little ornery, right? That, that should be a good thing for the show.
0: Yeah, it'll be a much yeah, a grumpier show than normal here. <laughs> yeah. and
3: seriously, and who could be grumpy over this team, right? Like this Patriots team. It, it's hard to be grumpy. I'm sure we'll find a way to be grumpy about something, but a little over a month ago, the Pats were 2 and 4. And they were coming off this like shaky win over the Texans, and then they had the overtime loss to Dallas where the defense gave up 35 points and 567 yards. And since that point, the Patriots are 5-0. and They've given up a total of 50 points in those five games. You know, we've talked about the team taking off Max training wheels, accelerating his development, but doesn't that kind of extend to the entire team, right? Like, they've gone from, like, mediocre in early October to legit AFC East Conference contender. Uh, and obviously it starts with the defense, we're going to get to that, but have you ever seen a team make up this much ground in such a short amount of time? Like, this team has done a complete 180, And it's just kind of rapidly getting better from week to week. And I feel so much different now than I did then.
0: This is basically a a classic Belichick turnaround. But I think you may have a point in that we haven't quite seen one so dramatic as this one. And there are reasons for that. But if you go back to the second run of Super Bowls that the Patriots had, for example, the 2014 team, they started two and two. and, And that loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, was you know I know I'm sure Patriots fans already know what I'm going to say. It was the on to Cincinnati game, where Trent Dilfer was saying that they can't, they're not good anymore. <laughs> I the love NFL that. team. That was kind of like the first time that that media members got burned for giving up on the Patriots. They're not that um, good anymore.
3: They're not that yeah. good
0: anymore. Oh god, that was great. Yeah, and so but like people learned their lesson after that. That like you can't make a your mind up about a Belichick team. After four games, that's when actually Belichick's teams start to really show up or show their identity. So, and, and we've seen that throughout the last few Super Bowl runs is this, these teams are actually like, they, they don't look that good through the first four games. This team didn't look very good through the first six games. And actually, I would argue that they looked better than a lot of those Super Bowl teams. It's just that they didn't have the wins like those Super Bowl teams. Teams eventually had, you know, after six games. Cause because the 2014 Patriots, just to use them as sort of like a microcosm of this, they went four and two. They they went on a two-game win streak immediately after that that Monday night blowout to the Chiefs. So the Patriots, you know, this year they, they didn't really have that. But the reason why they are turning it around so significantly is how much had has changed this offseason. How important the uh, off additions were to the team and so belichick spent like 170 million dollars guaranteed at the beginning of free agency over the first few days and like robert Kraft, a billionaire he had to like liquidate some of his assets just to pay those people their money that's how dramatic that was from spending like just to give people a perspective on how much money was being thrown around unprecedented like for the nfl let alone the patriots who are, who are known as sort of a thrifty team i had for read so that. many years
3: i hadn't read that that's that's interesting
0: Kraft admitted it he admitted that he needed to like move money around which is crazy <laughs> maybe he didn't have to liquidate his assets that might be i don't S- know Sounds but like he, he, he had to start, move money around
3: it's like when i have to start paying the gas bill again in the winter it's like oh, <laughs> crap i gotta move some money around
0: <laughs> you're like oh no gonna move some money around yeah that's a bad. bad sign um <laughs> but anyway, and then and then you add in the fact that you know your your most important player, I guess your two most important players are brand new. And one of them is Matthew Judon. And I would say Jason Jackson's kind of like 2B. So he at least you have continuity with him. Um but number one is Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback. And and so that shows you know like why a team like the Patriots had so much upside this year. Because, you know, among their best players were new players. And so they were in theory only going to get better throughout the year. Now, of course, that you look at like the Jets and their rookie quarterback doesn't seem to be getting any better. Sometimes it feels like he's getting worse. And Mike uh, White, their other starting quarterback who's young, he has gotten worse. So it doesn't always work out that way. But yeah, I think that's why not only did we see such a dramatic turnaround, but why you could almost see it coming. Everything has looked as it should. For a playoff contender constructed in the way that it is which is offense kind of efficient but not at anywhere near the level of a team like the chiefs but the patriots defense is like the chiefs offense of the nfl right now they're just like they're they're just that much better than everyone else they are so far above and beyond it is it's just ridiculous
3: yeah you were tweeting you think they're the best in the league right right now at this point and it's like they seem to have this blend of pressure right with matthew judon and, and Barbour and, and these guys and in Godshaw, and then they have the coverage ability in the back end with jc jackson they got physicality with like kyle duggar and then they got some finesse too on some of these interceptions like the jc jackson toe tapping and, and reaching out catching that football it's ridiculous right it's like Pressure, coverage, physicality, finesse. It's like I, I we've seen it a little bit here materializing over the last month, but people had to be watching that game last night from around, you know, around the league, you know, nationwide, watching the, the game in prime time, being like, holy crap, like look at this defense. It's it's unbelievable that blend that they have right now. They've given up thirteen points in the last twelve
0: quarters. The Patriots haven't allowed a single point in nineteen of their last uh nineteen possessions from opposing offenses. So, so 19 consecutive possessions, no points allowed. That's how good they've been. That's how complete of a defense they are. That's wild. The one thing I'll say just as sort of a counterpoint or, or to provide additional context to this defense, because everybody can see with their eyes, plainly, how good they are. I mean, there's no, there's no like argument here. Right. Um, And it's almost boring for viewers. Like I don't think many Patriots fans made it to the end of that game because it's just this like effort of futility for opposing <laughs> offenses. It was like so brutal to watch. These teams. Personally, I did just enjoy yeah, yeah. and struggle.
3: I enjoyed the the Falcons rolling out their quarterbacks to throw interceptions at the that end. That was thought, That was fun. Yeah, I like
0: three that. different quarterbacks threw an interception. And they weren't even close. The they were like throwing
3: quarter. it to the Patriots players. It was crazy.
0: It was so bad. It was awful. I'm trying to get to what this team is not good at, and I'll tell you. It's man defense. That is the one shortcoming that they have displayed so far this season. And I think that's also, from a schematic standpoint, what has helped to trigger the shift for them to be that much better is they've gone into a significant amount of the zone defense. That's also why I think J.C. Jackson isn't getting as much love this year. He's not, like, strictly tied to a specific man throughout the game. And I think for, like, neat and tidy sake of the media, they like to see CB1 go against wide receiver 1, cornerback 1 versus wide receiver 1. They like that, like, one-on-one matchup, drop the stats, see which person won kind of, like, narrative. And when it's a zone, the quarter, the cornerbacks usually play sides. So on one side you have Jalen Mills, the, the second cornerback, and on the other, you have JC Jackson. So, you know, like last night against the Falcons, JC Jackson only—you know—he only had a few snaps against Kyle Pitts, the the top pass catcher. He's a tight end technically, but he's a little bit more he's than a, that. He's a freak, even though we didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a freak. We didn't really see it last night, but um, he really is. So, anyway, the, what and the reason why they've gone into this zone is because they are weak at quarterback. You know, previously they could be a heavy man team, thinking back to even last year, early before Stefan Gilmore got hurt because, I just said his name, Stefan Gilmore was the reason. You have Stefan Gilmore at number one. He's the best quarterback in the league, or, or you know, one or two. And now we're seeing J.C. Jackson is cornerback, you know, one of the best five or, or four quarterbacks in the league. So you had two of the top ten, I would say. Jackson wasn't quite at this level last year he was getting there but but he wasn't quite here plus you had jonathan jones a really good nickel cornerback you just had a a great amount of depth and a great amount of talent and so they could they had at least in the first half of the season license to play a lot of man defense this year jonathan jones gets hurt he's on injured reserve and got surgery so he won't be back you have jc jackson so Across from him is Jalen Mills, who's technically, like, they signed him as, like, a hybrid safety cornerback, but he has played nothing but cornerback, which, if you ask an Eagles fan, would be a disaster. Like, I'm serious. Like, yeah. um there's uh the writer from The Ringer, Ben Ben Salak. He does the podcast over there. He does a lot of film breakdown. And he, like, slams Jalen Mills. And I was DMing him being like, I know you – and then you like have a bad experience with the Eagles. Fan. <laughs> Let's talk through this. You have a bad experience with Jalen Mills, but he's actually been pretty good. Like he's not good, but he has sort of exceeded expectations as a quarterback because he's known as being massively inconsistent, and he has been solid. I think his completion rate this season is about sixty percent. You know, he's he's not letting up a ton of touchdowns. He's clearly the weakest link in this defense. And the fact that he can't play man does not allow them to be as multiple as they'd like to be. And so that's sort of the, the one thing, right, is Belichick has to really scheme up zone defenses every week. And if he could have it his way, he would be able to do both. He'd be able to throw a zone defense at a team one week and a man defense at a team the next week. And that's what kind of happened with Justin Herbert with the chargers was he was expecting man. And that was when the Patriots switched his own kicking off what I feel like was sort of that big turnaround moment. So that was actually a good example of why, you know, switching up schemes defensively and tendencies can really confuse the quarterback. But now the Patriots can't really do that because they don't want to go back to man where they know they're not quite as effective. That's the one thing I'm not saying like it's over or it's ominous or whatever. It's just like, They're not – that's the one limitation they
3: have. No, that's good. Nobody's talking about limitations right now, Henry. So that's actually interesting commentary (laughs) and productive commentary. And and it makes a ton of sense. Like, uh, there's so many hybrid players on this defense. Adrian Phillips and Duggar and Jalen Mills and even some of the guys that play along the line, like Kyle Van Noy, can go inside and out. So uh, there's so many hybrid players. So Belichick's in his lab cooking it up, and it's been fun. It's been fun to watch. And we'll keep breaking down this defense as we go. I think it'll continue to evolve. But one new development with this team, Henry, is that we got a lot of young talent that's being productive and playing a lot of snaps. And I was looking at past draft classes, and that that hasn't always been the case for Belichick teams. So let's get into that right after this.
4: This is the typical sports Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting.
5: Corey Benigni of thehuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number 11. Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts versus the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans' weakness is its past defense, and while we've seen somewhat of a transformation by the Eagles into a power running team all of a sudden, expect a return to the aerial game as the primary source of attack. New Orleans ranks as the third worst defense against quarterbacks in the last five weeks. More recently, in the last three games, this unit has given up 47.6% more fantasy points per game than the league average. Both of the rushing scores by quarterbacks against the Saints have come in the most recent two contests, and it never hurts to have Jalen's legs as a bonus. Tennessee Titans running back Deontay Foreman against the Houston Texans. Houston is one of three teams that has allowed more than 1,000 rushing yards so far, and they've done so in only nine games played. Also, this unit has given up the second most rushing yards in that time on a per-game basis. Six touchdowns have been scored in the last four games against this group, and one in every 20.6 rushing attempts has found the end zone for the sixth highest rate. While Foreman will share some touches in the backfield, he has potential for a touchdown and should be good for close to 70 total yards. Not too bad for a flex spot. An even better play should come from wide receiver T. Higgins, Cincinnati Bengals, at Las Vegas Raiders. Higgins has scored 13 PPR points and change in each of the last three games, but he remains scoreless in five appearances since week two. The Raiders have been mired by injuries and personnel woes of late, going from being one of the stronger defenses of the position on the year to giving up six of seven total touchdowns to wide receivers in the last four games alone. Coming out of the bye, Higgins is due for a touchdown. New Orleans Saints tight end Adam Troutman at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eight different tight ends have scored 10 plus PPR points points on the year versus Philadelphia, and all but one happened in the last five weeks. Five of those eight touchdowns have come in the last six games, and this is among the best possible matchups for the week. In the last three games, Troutman has been targeted at least five times in each contest, and he's finally starting to show the signs of life that made him an early offseason sleeper prior to being derailed by an injury. He's a flyer for a touchdown and could be a hot DFS play. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com.
4: four seven zero zero in colorado
0: just gonna run this dog to see if we can find
1: any type of uh, human remains that are left listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of Derek hennigan from the detroit free press a new podcast set in the woods of michigan's upper peninsula Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Henry,
3: here's our next topic. Young talent being a thing for the Patriots, right? That's usually not a thing for Bill Belichick in his rookie classes, but some of these rookies are just leaving their fingerprints all over this 7-4 and four start to the season, right? Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, Ramadre Stevenson, they're playing featured roles, right? We haven't even seen the kid, Ronnie Perkins, the edge player they drafted in the third round. He's just kind of on the shelf. We'll probably see him next year. But you go through some of these recent draft classes, 2020, Kyle Duggar, he struggled early. Now he's playing really, really well. Michael Onwenu, he's grown into a featured role. Even Josh Uche, he's kind of a situational guy. Go back to 2019, Damian Harris, he was mostly inactive, right, for the whole first or second season while Sonny Michel was playing. He's your only really regular contributor right now. I know we got Winovich and Jawan Williams, Nikhil Harry, Yadne like some of these guys, but Damian Harris is really your only key guy for 2019. and 2018, it took Isaiah Wynn some time. He battled injuries. Jawan Bentley, right? Like, And then 2017, don't get me started, right? That was the, the weirdest draft class ever where the Patriots didn't pick in the first two rounds. They traded for Brandon Cooks. That's going way back. But this, this class is like a standout for Bill Belichick, right? So uh, to see these rookies just dominating and they were going on and on about Barmore on the broadcast and you see them handing the football to Ramadre Stevenson. He just looks like a beast in the fourth quarter. And again, Mac Jones with the high completion percentages, right? And really only made one horrible mistake in this game on that interception. But besides that, he was pretty good. The young players, the rookie class being a part of the team's core right now is kind of a new development and it's it's kind of a fun development for this team. This team's never got young talent. Right now, it does.
0: Dude, you... I'm, like, upset. Go back to that 2019 class. You forgot someone. Oh, who's no. the MVP of the 2020 season. It's Jake Bailey, the punter.
3: Oh, yeah. I forgot about Bailey. Yeah, don't do that on your own time, right? Special teams, as Calgary and Mads say. Do special teams on your own time. No, the Patriots' uh, best player is Nick Folk, argu- arguably, right? Nick Folk. Yeah. He's been the most consistent yeah. guy all season. Everybody else is at up and uh, downs.
0: Well, Not Folk. That's like... Yes, yeah, the best scorer but k- kickers are generally you're
3: right sport. how did i forget bailey he's um, a stud. he is a stud but
0: yeah jake bailey is actually nasty like he's a very good puncher um but i'm i'm just playing <laughs> okay so to, to, to the actual point the way that the the last two draft classes are starting to shape this team that's that's a good thing like you want when you have when the patriots have to go to free agency which they did this year to boost their team to shape their team to create an identity, that's not always a good sign because A, the nature of free agency is that the best players almost, or they very often don't make it to market. The idea is if your player is good enough, you'll give them a, an extension, you'll keep them around. And so the best free agents or the best pending free agents never actually hit free agency, their teams want them. This year was different. Teams had salary cap constraints, and so it was a better than normal free agency class and a below market time for free agents. So the Patriots were not. Yeah, they were cheaper. So it was like it was a perfect time for the Patriots to really go in hard. And Bill Belichick saw the situation coming from a mile away. I asked him at the trade deadline last year hey, is this what you're doing? And he said, yes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's nice. And, Thank you, Bill. Um,
3: I mean, it doesn't usually get that you know, that straightforward.
0: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that simple. I was like, hey, is this kind of what might happen? He was like, I think you, you're making a really good point there. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll take that and run with it. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> um, and so they don't want it. Like, this is an anomaly. You're not going to see free agent classes like we saw in 2021. And you're not going to see the Patriots have buying power you know we won't see a a a buyer's market in free agency for a long time again the pandemic created you know very unfortunate situations in the rest of the world but unique situations and buying opportunities in the nfl which is stupid the owners should never have done that what meaning like like what they did in managing the pandemic was smart but The finances behind it were ridiculous um so to make players suffer financially is absurd but that's a whole nother episode about how players are improperly treated by the billionaires that run this league (laughs) that could be a good one for what we're talking about yeah yeah exactly we're we're talking about draft classes, (laughs) and and so the reason why the patriots had to build in free agency was because their draft classes were really bad like The fact that I'm like, come on, man. The punter was a great player in the 2019 class. The the 2019 class wasn't good. Uh, uh, The 2018 class wasn't really good either. Isaiah Wynn is a good player and it's great to have a left tackle. That's hugely important. But the fact that he's the only player on the team still from 2018 and that Sonny Michelle was like the second best player. He's, I mean, those are first round picks. Of course they're supposed to be good. And, Sonny Michel had a great rookie season where they helped him uh, where he helped them get to the Super Bowl and win it. But other than that, like Sonny Michel was never special. He was not a unique talent. He just was he was just like in a good situation, to be honest. And so I don't know. I don't I feel like there were years where he might not have made the team if he was wasn't a first round pick. And then you go back to 2017, 2016, really like one or two good players are coming out of those years. And you need more out of a draft class, like we're seeing over the last two years: Mac Jones, Barmore, Stevenson, and then going into this this last year, Duggar, Uche, Justin Heron, Michael Onwenu. So you have, you know, you have two starters with Onwenu and Duggar, Dugger, and then you have two backups or sub sub role players, Heron and Uche. The fact that that's kind of all they got, I don't know. The fact that like. Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene are just duds completely. <laughs> I think they'll probably <laughs> yeah. yeah, they'll probably get cut next year when the optics look better better for Bill Belichick to <laughs> cut them. Good one. The other thing is the 2021 draft class might not be done. You you alluded to Ronnie Perkins not really doing anything. Also, Sean Wade is a rookie. The Patriots didn't draft him, but um they traded for him at the roster cutdown day. Uh, the Ravens had him on their team. He was great. He was a fifth-round pick, I think. Had a great preseason, and the Patriots traded for him. So he'll he'll be kind of like an honorary member of the class. Curious to see how he pans out. And then finally, Cameron McGrone. He's on, um, I think, either NFI or IR, one of those injury lists, and will be back next year. He's a unique talent. He's a speedy lighter linebacker that's going to play on the inside for them if he can if he can play and i think he's got sort of upside people were you know talking about him in the draft process if he's put in the right place maybe he'll end up being you know one of those those gems one of those sort of because he had to take a redshirt medical season like teams knew he couldn't play this year and he still came out for the draft so that hurt his draft stock But he seems like a kind of developmental guy where you you let him, you know, heal up for a year and maybe he comes in and plays a sub, sub role or even a starting one down the line. So it's important, enormously important in the league to nail your drafts. And Belichick was not doing it for many years. And that's why Brady grew frustrated. I mean, there were a number of reasons why Brady left. But the fact that there was no talent or they were really lagging in the talent department was sort of a problem Belichick created in the drafts and his, his staff did. And that's why they were making sort of like desperate moves to get Muhammad Sanu And then Antonio Brown, they were adding these players that, that were like, you know, I mean, Antonio Brown is, I mean, we're seeing with, with more drama ensuing in Tampa. He's just like, there's Not so, so many Not characters. Yeah. He's a questionable human being at his core. And, and Mohamed Sanu was a questionable talent, I'd say, for a second yeah. round pick. For I mean, price Stephon they Gilmore for went rest. for a sixth round pick. Yeah, exactly. And they paid a second for Mohamed Sanu. So they were desperate at those times to really fill holes that, that were shortcomings from the draft. And and, and so it's, it's really big that the Patriots nailed both the draft and the free agency class. And it's sort of crazy because... All general managers try and build their teams like this. Draft a quarterback in the first round, you fill around with free agents, you set a culture, and then you win. But like nobody actually does that. Look at the Jets. Look at even the Browns. Like the Browns have it had they're they're looking at like obscene amount of first round picks through the years. And still they're struggling to make a culture that wins. And like it took years for them to like go from being a dumpster team to like a five hundred team. And the Patriots all of a sudden go from like one year of being a 500 team back into playoff and Super Bowl contention.
3: It, what a story. It's a, it's an it's an amazing story. And let's wrap it up here. You We're, we're saving our hot take for the end here, Henry. So for all the folks that are hanging on with us here on the pod, you have a, a scorcher on Mac Jones about why he looks bad with the lead. So l- let's get into that right after this.
4: This is the Typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting.
6: What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slipping Podcast, presented by sportsbookwire.com. I'm here with my handicapping homie Nathan Beagle to break down this week's the Sunday night football game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Los Angeles Chargers. Our friends at typical sportsbook have the Chargers laying five and a half, money lines plus two hundred for the Steelers, minus two fifty for the LA Chargers, and the total is sitting at forty-six and a half. I'm taking the underdog Steelers at plus five and a half. Uh The Steelers have a huge edge in coaching matchup between Mike Tomlin and Brandon Staley. They're much better on third down and and in the red zone. The Chargers have a negative differential in third down and red zone conversion rate. Also, if you blindly fade the more popular side, which is the Chargers, you win 63% of your primetime games this season. Nate, how are you looking at this game? I'm going with
5: the under 46.5. The Chargers by far have the worst rush defense in the league. Pittsburgh is 25th in opponents' rushing yards per game. It's going to be a lot of running, a lot of killing the
0: clock, especially if we don't know Big Ben's status. I'm going with the under.
4: That was your Typico Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. one 800 4700 in Colorado.
0: Just going to run this
1: All right, Henry, I don't know if this is still... You're still kind of
3: uh, crafting this take, I think. This this one's not well done yet. It's still... You're still cooking this one up, right? But uh, we talked about this right before we started recording. You said you had a take on why Mac Jones might not... He doesn't look quite as good when he's playing with a lead, right? And, And we saw that, right? He threw a bad pick in this game, and he wasn't completely, you know, wasn't really dominating as the Patriots are pulling away in this game. So... Why doesn't Mac Jones look as good out there when the Pats are ahead?
0: I think there's um, layers to it. He's an emotional guy, and I think he's tired of the narrative that he's the weak link on the offense and kind of the team in general, where it's like the team is really coming up fast, and he, his development is lagging behind the general groundswell of development all around him. And I think there's something to that, that he is. Like, don't get me wrong, Mac Jones. I, I feel like Patriots fans are going to hate me because they're like, <laughs> oh, Mac Jones is so good. He's the best rookie ever. And he's standard luck. And I, I love him. That's a good but it's like, I like that. <laughs> no, Mac Jones, like, I get that Pro Football Focus loves Mac Jones. And I get that the stats show Mac Jones is like, got an incredible completion percentage. That's all well and good. He likes to throw the ball to the line of scrimmage Ramondre Stevenson and Johnny Smith and other guys who really create yards after the catch. They're doing a great job of making those stats look, look better. So there were just many opportunities for Mac Jones to really like slam the door on the Falcons because it was 13 zero when Mac Jones threw his interception and the Falcons ended up in Patriots territory. But
3: they ended up falconing Om- is what they did. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then, and then they falconed, but like you can't always trust the opposing team to like the Falcons are going to Falcons, the Jets are going to Jets, right? There have been right. a couple games where Mac Jones really struggles to slam the door on his opponent. And a part of that's because Arthur Smith, the Falcons' side coach, he really gets how to stop this Patriots' system. So a credit to him. But yeah, Mac Jones threw that interception. There was a third down or Mac Jones misfired to an open Jacoby Myers. At the end of the first half, Mac Jones mismanaged the hurry up. And there was a fourth and one. And when he went to the sideline, Brian Hoyer was kind of like coaching him through it. Like, here's what you should have done. Clearly, Mac Jones felt like he should have gotten a shot at the end zone. convert, or Maybe they were going to try and convert that fourth down. Maybe they were going to try and draw an offsides. I don't really know. But it seems like they didn't feel like they maximized the final 25 seconds of the first half. Got a field goal which is great. And he's, he's gone a few games in a row now by getting that second quarter, final second field goal or or touchdown, which is a credit to him. But the defense is so good. The Patriots then become reliant on their run game that Mac Jones doesn't have to throw very much. And when he doesn't have to throw very much, he gets out of the rhythm, out of sync, and he doesn't do well in that area. That's his, that's not his comfort zone which is basically beyond the 10yard line he's really good at peppering the ball you know with timing short quick dink and dunk all that and then you know his completion percentage looks brilliant but sometimes doesn't pick his spots very well when he's going to push the ball downfield down and we saw that with the interception AJ Terrell the Falcons cornerback he really just stole the ball right away from them and it was just sort of a careless error by mac Jones that could have not cost the Patriots the game, obviously, but could have um been more costly against a more substantial opponent. So basically my take is Mac Jones still a rookie, still developing, and everyone who's saying that he's like the second coming of Tom Brady or or even like I don't know, I don't know what the comps are these days for Mac Jones, but he's just not he's just not there yet. And uh, he's not consistent quite yet, and I think that's one thing he's got to work on. Is is this defense and this running game will not make the team reliant on him. So unlike at Alabama, where he's like thrown the ball forty times and he's the the most important player, he's got to kind of take a back seat and relax and like find his rhythm, even when he's getting asked to throw. You know, sparingly, pick his spots carefully because pushing the ball downfield is not easy for him. And so he shouldn't just do it because the the media like me are saying that he can't. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of my take is I think he's a little bit in his head trying to prove himself to the NFL and to the, you know, the upend that narrative. And I think he, he's a rhythm passer that doesn't quite always get put into a rhythm.
3: Excellent stuff, as always, from uh, Henry McKenna, some stuff for Patriots fans to think about. As we sit now through a long week waiting for the Titans, the Patriots on Typico, already three-and-a-half-point favorites of this one. Can't wait. It's going to be a huge game. So for Henry, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks again for joining us. Hit the subscribe button. Find us on Spotify, Apple Pods, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you. And if we don't talk to you before then, happy Thanksgiving.